morning, we'd like for you to stand and to be recognized. Mom, can we get you to stand? You are, every, everyone is, uh, is always uh, an honored guest and, uh, and a family member here, but uh, you especially today. And as you leave, uh, some of our young people are going to greet you at the doors, at the exits, and we're going to have a little gift for you. Uh, we also have prepared a video uh, tribute for you right now that uh, is going to talk about all of the different ways that people experience motherhood these days. And I'm going to direct you to the screen. Let's honor our moms one more time. And one more time, let's, uh, let's go to our Father in prayer and ask Him to bless us as we go through this message. Father, we are incredibly grateful to have You not only as uh, our Father, but also as our Mother. And the way that You love us in the way that you take care of us and give us life, Father, and you nurture us in this life, reminds us, Father, of, of, of the great places that our own physical human mothers play in our lives. But it's not, always to be, it's not always easy to be a mother, and we recognize that, Father, and we want to be the kind of family that, that not only is supportive of mothers, but is always lifting them up to you and asking for your blessing to fall upon them and upon their hearts and their families and all of the jobs that they do every day to bless us. And so, Father, to this end, we're, we're asking you to help us by giving us eyes to see and ears to hear to understand these passages that we're going to reflect on this morning to help us better be able to put our arms around this, this phenomenal job, this task that takes place all over the world, all around this globe, Father, every day, the role of mothers. And to this end, Father, we ask you to bless our mothers, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
What I, I like about that video is it, it captures, I think, all of the experiences of what it means to be a mom in a world like this. And for my own family, this is a, this is a pretty special Mother's Day for the, for the Absher family. Uh, my own mother is here, and she, this is her 55th. She probably would not want you to know this is her 55th Mother's Day, but it is. Uh, my wife, Ellen, is celebrating her, and she probably is okay with this, her 29th Mother's Day. And my daughter, Jessica, is here celebrating her first Mother's Day as a mom with our church family. And in thinking about all of the mothers that are here today, I was wondering, you know, what, what would I say to all of our mothers, and especially to my daughter, my daughter, as it's her first Mother's Day, what would I say to all of the mothers? And there's a lot of things, but there's one at least that I'm going to say here at the beginning. It's going to be up here on the screen, and that is... Please, please, please don't tackle the job of raising a child well thinking that you have to be a super mom to get it done. I think there's so much, uh, so, so much trash that is foisted upon mothers these days in terms of responsibilities and, 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 and uh, uh, job titles and expectations that it really it I think it really forces moms into a position where unless they are a perfect mom they think somehow they have failed and I think that that's absolutely that's absolutely wrong you know when you think about it there are no perfect moms in the Bible let's just do a survey of Genesis the first mom Eve helped create a world in which it became possible for one son to kill another, but then to have another son by the name of Seth, who was the first of the line to call on the name of God. We're in the series on Abraham and, and Sarah on Sunday mornings and in our Bible classes. Think about Abraham and Sarah. They have a couple of issues with a stepson by the name of Ishmael, and it gets, to the, it gets so tense between Ishmael and Sarai that she has to force this stepson out from the family home and out from the tents. And then you've got Rebecca, who's playing favorites with Jacob against Isaac and Esau. And then you've got Jacob and his wives, Leah and Rachel, including their two servants. There are four women in all that creates this dysfunctional family where there are rivalries among the boys, leading one of them to be marked for death by his brothers. And not, uh, in, in, in the end, he's not killed, but he's sold into slavery. Think about the best mom in the entire Bible. Who would that be? Probably Mary, right? Probably Mary. She is the mother to God's son, Jesus. But then we get to Luke chapter 2. They go to Jerusalem, she and Joseph and Jesus, with the entourage from Nazareth. They go down to the Passover when Jesus is about 12 years of age. And then when it's time for them to go back to Nazareth, they leave. And again, they're in this gigantic entourage. It's making this multi-day journey back up north into Galilee. And they thought that, you know, Joseph thought he was with Mary. Mary thought he was with Joseph. And they both thought, well, if they're not with the other parent, then they're with some other cousin or somebody else in the entourage, only to realize that he's not in the entourage. Luke tells us that by the time they realized that they had already traveled one day away from Jerusalem, when they realize that Jesus is not with them, that he's back in Jerusalem in the big urban center of Jerusalem, they have to travel another day back. Then they go through the city for a day before they find him in the temple. That means how many days has Jesus been missing? Three days. Now, I have never lost a kid. 
but I have forgotten them at school a few times. But I have some friends that have lost uh, young girls and, and young sons, and they describe what it's like to realize that, you know, this kid that I thought was with somebody else is not with them, and that they're out there someplace, and that, that heart-pounding anxiety and fear just gripping their heart until they find that kid again. Well, we get back to Joseph and Mary, and they travel back to Jerusalem a day, and they go searching for him with all of their hearts pounding, that fear gripping their hearts. And finally, after a full day, three days of looking for him, they find him in the temple. I think the award, though, for the worst mom in the Bible has to go to a lady by the name of Athaliah. Athaliah is not really famous, but she is the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. How many of you have heard of Jezebel? Jezebel, pretty famous. Je Jezebel, you know, if you've never heard of Jezebel, Jezebel in the Bible is the female equivalent to Adolf Hitler. Nobody names their kids Hitler, right? Nobody today, if they have any understanding of the Bible, names their daughter Jezebel. Jezebel grew up, she was probably married at a very young age and became, uh, you know, she was not an Israelite, but she was married into North Israel and she was, did so at a very young age, which meant that she had a lot of power at about the time that she was 12, 13, 14 years of age. And with that power and a level of immaturity, she developed this mindset that if anybody got in her way, just kill them. Just kill them. Jezebel killed everyone that got into her way. She killed all of the prophets of God who rivaled her prophets of Baal. In, in uh, 1 Kings chapter 21, Ahab, her husband, wants this, this vineyard that belongs to Naboth. Naboth doesn't want to sell it because Naboth says he's been in the family all of these years. It's, it's our family vineyard. I don't want to sell it. Well, Ahab goes home and he's pouting on his bed and Jezebel finds out about it and she knows what to do. And so she goes and she has Naboth killed so that she could present his vineyard to her husband Ahab. Now that's Jezebel. Athaliah is her daughter. 2 Kings chapter 11, when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead. Now this can't be right. She proceeded to destroy the whole royal family. But there it is. She proceeded to kill the whole royal family. But Jehosheba, the daughter of King Jehoram and the sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the royal princes who were about to be murdered. She put him and his nurse in a bedroom and to hide him from Athaliah so he was not killed. He remained hidden with his nurse at the temple of the Lord for six years while Athaliah ruled the land. I want to uh, put a family tree up here on the, uh, on the screen. What you see is that uh, during this period of time, Israel and Judah had been separated because of a division that happened after the death of Solomon. And in North Israel, you had Ahab and Jezebel who have married each other, and they have produced this daughter that you see right there in the very middle in the red, a daughter by the name of Athaliah. She ends up marrying one of the princes of Judah, the kingdom to the south, and they have a son by the name of Ahaziah, and they have a daughter by the name of Jehosheba. And when Ahaziah is, is, is dead and there is no one less, uh, left in line to be the king except these small children, Joash and the other princes, she decides that she's going to kill them all off in order for her to maintain power. And Joash is the only one that is saved. But here's the thing. 
Athaliah is so into power and she is so into herself that she kills her grandchildren in order to preserve her rule. And she is, I think, in all of the history of Israel, the only woman outside of Golda Meir to rule for any period of time the Jewish people. Now, why, <laughs> why do I tell you the story of the worst mom in the entire Bible? Uh, you're probably thinking that the point of this story is, you know, to make me feel better that at least I'm not that bad as a mom. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if at some point you thought that there was a kid that needed to be taken out. You know? <laughs> no, there, there's more to this story meets the eye. There is this woman by the name of Yehoshiba who in knowing what's going to happen to all of these little kids is able to get this one, this one by the name of Joash away and to hide him for seven years. And at the end of those seven years, he's still this, this young kid, but he's old enough at that point to become king. Joash becomes king, and Athaliah is, is ex executed for her cruelty. So what, what happened during those six years of hiding? Something, I think, special took place, because we read in 2 Kings chapter 12 and verse 2, that Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. Now, Joash is not perfect, but his life, his whole life's direction is set by the instruction of a priest by the name of Jehoiada. But that direction was not set in motion until he had an aunt who had become sort of this atypical kind of a mother to him in, 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 in putting him away in a place where Athaliah cannot get him. And her name is Jehosheba, and she took over, I think, because his real mother, Zibiah, in the grief that she felt in losing all of her, her kids, losing her entire family, I think it checked out emotionally. And so here's this woman that steps in as sort of a, an adoptive mother or a foster mother and sets him in a course in the room, in the temple, to understand the direction of his life is in the direction of God. Special kind of a mom, a typical mom, not the normal kind of a mom, but a mother figure who took responsibility for this kiddo being set in the right direction. There's another famous fella in the, in the New Testament, a fellow by the name of Timothy. He's all over the place. A couple of books are named for him, First and Second Timothy. Uh, when, when he's in Ephesus, uh, Paul writes these letters to him to help him to understand how to lead a church in direction of God. Timothy did not get there by himself in this place of, of relationship with God where he's leading a church and, and helping the spread of Christianity in the first century. He didn't get there by himself. And he didn't get there because there was a strong male influence in his life in those early years. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul is reminding him of some things that happened in his life when he was a young man. He said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, that first generation, and then in your mother Eunice, that second generation, that was passed on to you that I'm now persuaded, he says, that kind of faith lives also in you. You know, one of the things that, that mothers and grandmothers and atypical mother types do in our life is to point us in the direction of eternity where we find God. And very quickly, I just want to give you five things, moms, to think about. This is not about being super mom. 
but it is about setting a direction, setting in motion a direction for your kiddos that brings them to God's throne. The first one is teach your children about God. One of the earliest commandments that you find in the Bible has to do with children. And it has to do with taking the laws that God has, the commandments that God has given to man and making sure that those are, are somehow transferred from, from adults into the hearts of children. And that happens in all kinds of ways. And the, and the Bible recognizes that in Deuteronomy chapter 6. That's one of the things that, that Moses keeps reminding them is that, you know, not only are you to teach children, but it happens in all kinds of places. When you're walking down the street and when you walk through a door from one room into another. In all of these different settings, it's an opportunity for you to talk about God. You talk about God today in the modern world when, whenever the weather changes. I remember Lynn Anderson talking about one of his parents, you know, growing up in Canada and his parents recognizing the importance of rain as they were raising, you know, those, those hay fields to feed, to feed their animals. And every time the rain came, you know, they would, you know, his father with hat in hand, his mother, you know, with apron, you know, they would thank God for the rain. And they were teaching their children about the presence of God and the movements of God and the power of God and the sovereignty of God in all of the universe, but particularly in their own home. You teach your children about God. And then number two, you model the faith for them. You know, one of the most important things that you can do for a kiddo is just allow them to see the transformation in your life as that fruit of the Spirit is developed, as you learn how to walk as Jesus walked, to, to, to see the, 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 the changes that come in you as you grow in your own walk with Christ, but at the same time, in those, those moments in which you begin to exemplify what it means to have faith, to not be anxious, but, but, but to have this, this, this confidence and to have this, this calm assurances about the promises of God and the presence of God in all of life, in all of, all, all of life's situations and circumstances. And then number three, immerse them in the life of the church. Don't make the church and, and the, the, the calling together for worship that, that we have on Sunday mornings and, and, and the time for us to interact with each other in terms of ministries and times of prayer. and these Don't, don't allow those to become side trips or sidelined activities, but immerse your children in the life of the church. Their, their relationships primarily should come from this group of people that will nurture their faith and continually point them towards God. And then number four, make room for questions. Make room for questions. I remember the first time, and I hope this makes you feel good. I remember the first time big preacher boy here got squirreled up in a tree by a question that one of his little kids asked him. And I thought about it, I thought about it, and thought about it, and said, you know, I don't know if I know the answer to that. I'll have to think about that. And you know what? I, at first, I was kind of disappointed. I said, man, I, what kind of preacher are you when you don't have an answer for everything? And then I realized I had put this burden on myself to have an answer, and I'm just not that smart. I don't, I'm not going to have an answer for everything. And, and there, I think there's, there's, there's sort of a, a freshness and a realness that comes when we're able to talk about the questions that we have openly and, and, and distinctly and, and frankly and to talk about, you know, that the, this is important, we should pursue these things and we should, we should find out. But there are certain things in this life that I don't have sometimes a clue about. 
I'll give you a for instance. Why hasn't God come for us yet? I wake up every morning disappointed that He hasn't come. Sometime during the night, His Son Jesus, all His angels, to take us home so that we can avoid more evil and more pain and all of that. I don't have an answer as to why it's 2,000 plus years since the cross and we're still waiting for Jesus to come and take us. But I do believe that He's coming and I do trust God to be wiser than me. And what happens when we allow room for questions is that we're teaching our children that it's okay to be comfortable with a mystery. That's something that is really difficult in, in, in our world. The ancients were a lot more comfortable in living with mystery than, than we are. But God, there's something about God being so big that I can't fully explain Him all the time or have all of the answers to explain why He has or has not done something that should increase, increase the... the the awe that we have for a God that is so big that I can't understand Him. Leave room. Make room for questions, for there to be a debate. Allow there to be that, 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 that place where, where we can interact and, and, and talk about the faith in a way that makes it real every, every day. And then finally, pray for the Holy Spirit to do the rest. You know, there's, there, there's more to leading our children to faith than leading them to a place where they have a certain information base committed to, to heart. Conversion takes place, changes take place when the Holy Spirit of God grips a, heart, a human heart. That's when it takes place. When, when, when God's Spirit is able to grab a child's heart and that child has been prepared for that to happen and to not let go. And so we, we teach our children about God. We model the faith for them. We immerse them in the life of the church. We make room for questions. We pray for the Holy Spirit to do the rest. We pray for that heart of our children to be grabbed by God. And then we realize, then we realize that we're part of something really, really big. You know, this last Sunday, uh, we had a Yehosheba in our assembly, and we didn't know it at the time. Many of you remember uh, John and Denise McEwen. Uh, Denise grew up in Brazil. John grew up on the East Coast. As God works these things out, they, they met each other and were married, and uh, a beautiful family of, of faith, and except for one thing, they were not able to have children. And they struggled, and they struggled, and they struggled, and they did all of the things that families do to try to have children, and Asked for family members uh, in churches all over the world to be praying for them and still no answer, no answer, no answer, no answer. Who has an answer for that? And then they were led into this adoption process for a young girl who lives in Poland. So you've got a woman raised in Brazil. You've got a, a young man being raised in the northeast of the United States coming together and starting a process to adopt a young girl who was born in Poland. And this last Sunday, uh, Denise, John wanted to be here but was called away from work. They were here visiting. And Denise wanted to, to come, and many of you got to meet her this last Sunday during the Second Assembly. You got to meet Monica. 
And I think about Denise and John and their prayers and all of the things that they've been searching for and then the, the, the success of this process to adopt this, this, this young po Polish teenager by the name of Monica. And the, and the really incredible thing is, is that if you looked at that girl and you looked at John, you would say, and they really, they've got the same DNA, you know, tall, thin, and blonde. You know, I don't know how God works that stuff out either. I don't have an answer for that. <laughs> but it happens a lot, you know. But she came forward uh, last Sunday morning with Monica and just said, you know, we, we just need to continue praying, you know, for, with, with thanksgiving in our heart for the way that God works these things out. And here, here is Denise, who is an adoptive mother, an adoptive mother to a teenage girl who grew up on a completely different continent. Denise sharing the gospel, opening the, the Bible, opening her heart. John and Denise sharing their life with this girl. And I think we had a Yehosheva, an atypical mother bringing a spiritual influence to bear on the most unlikely of candidates. And I thought, only God, only God has the power and the wisdom. He is that mystery. Only God has that kind of power and wisdom to bring these kinds of things together in such a way as we saw them come together in Denise and John and Monica's life. And I think, what, what an incredible God, what an incredible God to bring mothers, the most unlikely of mothers, into the lives of the most unlikely of children. But then it reminded me that there was a God who surprised all of us. None of us, none of us expected what God actually did in Christ Jesus. Is that not true? When most people think about gods in the ancient world, they thought about gods that you had to completely bend over backwards and you had to shed all of the blood, shed all the blood, shed all the blood yourself in order to please them that those kinds of gods were the kinds of gods that enslaved human beings into all kinds of addictions and all kinds of behaviors that actually ruined them in many ways as human beings. And yet our God, the God, the creator, the, 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 the possessor of the heavens and the earth, the creator God, the father God, the mother that, that gives us life as, as our creator God, this God took on flesh and he's the one that bled in order for us to have life. He's the one that gave up in order for us to be freed from our enslavement to sin. And it's this God who continually, continually gives us life. And not just a life that ends at some point in this life, but even beginning the day that we put our faith in Christ and our sins are washed away, do we find ourselves living this abundant life for all of eternity. We're going to have some of our shepherds down here at the front. And if there's some mothers that you would like for us to be praying about or you're a mother and you would have some things that you would be, you would be so thankful to have us know about and to join with you in prayer about, or maybe there's some other needs that you might have as a, as a member of our church family, whatever the, the need might be, come down and talk to these shepherds about what those needs might be as we stand and praise God together. Jesus, let us come to